When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of In the Deep, a Deep and Dynasty-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again by my good friend Christopher Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing? Hi, friends. I'm doing so good. It's So we record this on Wednesday. It is March 24th. We are so close to the end of spring training, and that means we are so close to the start of the regular season. So it's time the time for making sweeping assumptions about players based on 50 plate appearances in March is nearly over. And we're just about ready to start making sweeping assumptions about players based on 50 plate appearances in April. I can't wait. So similarly, if you thought we'd continue releasing podcasts on Saturdays based on our spring training production jokes on you. That is 100% right. Uh, so just a quick note here at the top, starting this coming Monday, that's March 29th. We're going to move to Monday releases at 6 a.m. This means that we'll be with you at the start of each week to help you identify some of our favorite deep streaming options for the upcoming slate of games that week. Along with that, we get to join all of the other great podcasts that get released on the main Pitcherless podcast feed. So that includes like On the Corner with Nick Pollock, Nick Pollock and Friends, On the List with Austin Bristow. So we got pretty lucky and I'm pretty excited to uh, join that crew over there. I, I just want to be known as Schwebzy at PitcherList from here on out, like Nick Pollock at PitcherList. One Schwebzy at Schwebzy. The Schwebzy that everyone insists on putting a C in for some reason. Schwebzy. Professional podcaster and semi-professional MLB The Show streamer, Christopher at Schwebzy Weber, also known as at Schwebzy of twitch.tv backslash Schwebzy fame. I think Look, it's the it, full title, right? My, my, my 299 Twitch followers would, would be appalled at this shade right now. <laughs> Medium-sized streamer, Schwebzy? Medium-sized streamer? Schmedium. You're a hard medium. I am a Twitch affiliate and I will not stand for this. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, let's get to the meat of this right away. First, we're going to start off with a quick spring training recap. One of our last ones that we're going to be able to do here. Starting with Kevin Newman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's currently surprisingly absolutely raking this spring. Uh, so far in spring training, he's 16 for 22, which is absolutely wild with nine runs, four RBIs, and a stolen base. So by the way, that also equates to a 727 average, which is, I would say, absurd, egregious, insane, unspeakably good. good. Like, it's, right. it's insane. Uh, along with that, he's got four doubles and he's one for two on steals. This seems like a pretty cheap early pickup. He's eligible at second base and shortstop across every single major fantasy platform. And ownership numbers are super duper depressed. Uh, he's going like 13% owned on Autonew, 3% on Yahoo, 24% in TGFBI leagues. So definitely someone who's probably out there and available in your leagues. 
doubtful that he's going to get any like meaningful power numbers or anything like that. But if you need like a really safe average bat to fill in at middle infield occasionally, I think that's a pretty good flyer for people to take. So I am no statistician, but he has zero strikeouts and zero home runs. So doesn't that mean he also has a 727 BABIP? That would technically be correct, <laughs> which is it's, it's kind of a really high elevated BABIP. I think he can keep it up. I mean, oh, is that a board bat that I smell? Is, no, is that is that is not. that a real quick like? Are you are we going to say that? I'll you know I'll give you six fifty better for the year. I think he gets better. I think he's going to have a seven fifty batting average on the year. He's got so much room to improve, Schwabzi. Can only go up from here. I really think you should take this one, but that's just me. Uh, beyond that, we also have uh, Joey Lucchese is probably going to be SP five in New York now that Jordan Yamamoto got reassigned to the Syracuse Mets. That's the AAA affiliate, I believe, for the Mets. Uh, Schwabzi, you want to touch on this a little bit? Yeah, so this was a position battle that I touched on in our starting pitcher episode. And now that Cookie Carrasco is hurt and Jordan Yamamoto has been sent to the minors, it looks like that fifth starting rotation spot is all Lucchese's. And so I I am of the opinion that Lucchese should never, ever, ever see a lineup for the third time through. But I think he would be a really strong like piggyback starter, throw four or five innings at most, and then take him out immediately. But uh, yeah, uh, it's a good lineup, good ballpark. He's got a great changeup slash curve. So I, I do think that he's worth looking at in your really, really deep leagues at the start of the season. Just to, I, I would, I don't know if I would draft him. I think I kind of want to see how the Mets are going to use him, but I do think there's value here. Yeah, this is someone that I would look at probably just as like a streamer and like favorable matchups. That's yes. pretty much it. And that's what you should use him as too, I would say. Uh, just keep an eye on the matchups from week to week. And if you find maybe like he has a really favorable two-start week in your weekly leagues, nab him. Why not? Spend a little bit of fab dollars on him. Uh, otherwise, if you have a deep enough league where you can just hold him on the bench until he gets a favorable matchup. I do worry about once Cookie Carrasco is healthy and Syndergaard eventually does come back that he will lose a spot in that rotation. Oh yeah. There's no chance he remains in the rotation at that point. While he has these opportunities. I mean, why not try to find some opportunities to stream? So keep an eye on that. One more quick note on someone who got sent back to a minor league camp, AKA alternate site, uh, Dalton Varsho, someone who was very highly touted for his ability to get steals at a position that doesn't often get them. Catcher was sent back to AAA Reno for the Arizona Diamondbacks. A lot of people very high on him, including myself, hoping that he would still retain that catcher eligibility and provide some value there. But it really doesn't look like there's a clear path to playing time for him, obviously, now that he's back in AAA. So I would say that he's a fade right now. Keep an eye on what he does in AAA. There's a possibility that they bring him back. But the other thing you have to look out for as well is that after this year, he may lose his catcher eligibility. So I would very much fade Varsho. In that case, he hasn't really shown a good bat in the major in the brief major league experience we've uh, seen him have. So, uh, Dalton Varsho stock heavily dropping. Yeah, like in NFC, like he's gone, like he's gone in like the hundred to one hundred fifty range, like a good number of times. Yep. Uh, I think he, he's usually a, a little bit later than that, but like some people are really, really high on Varsho. I really don't think the steals at catcher are that valuable, and he doesn't bring enough other skills to the table to really warrant that like i never really got the varsho hype but i also never really got like the isaiah kiner falefa hype so i it's just i i just don't really see that value there i guess 
trying to look at it here real quick. I'm trying to pull up the Halton Bark Show stat line uh, just for a very quick run of it. Like he's supposed to be a good OBP guy. Yeah. So he walked enough and then uh, didn't strike out a whole bunch. Like back in AA, he had a 301 average and a 378 OBP uh, over 108 games with 18 home runs. So you project that out to, I mean, obviously trip or AA isn't the same as MLB, but project that out over the course of a full season. That's like 20, 25 home runs and probably like he had 21 stolen bases in double a that year. So you projected out to about 25, 30 stolen bases over that span. If you play a full season, but he just hasn't shown the hit tool or the play discipline in the majors. Unfortunately a fade for now, but keep an eye out on Varsho. If he can get the bat going in triple a again and get a call up once again, then he might be worth your time. But again, not having that catcher eligibility is going to hurt him a lot in 2022 and beyond. If they plan on just trying to develop him as an outfielder. Yeah, like we were talking about this before, we're not totally sure how his eligibility is going to work if he's in the minors and doesn't catch any games in the minors. But if he loses that catcher eligibility, in my opinion, he basically loses all fantasy value. I just don't think he's a good enough hitter to really roster if he's not a catcher. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, going from one outfielder that we're down on to now some outfielders that we're high on, this is our favorite post 300 picks for outfielders for 2021. Uh, we're each going to go over two picks that we really, really like, starting with Schwebzy. Schwebzy, who is your first pick for a post-300 outfielder here? So this is a player that I drafted in TGFBI towards the start of spring training, and I felt a little, like I was a little uncomfortable with it then, but I think I've gotten more comfortable with it as spring training has gone on and he's continued to hit. It's Justin Upton. And... Yeah, like young, unproven prospect, Justin Upton, right? Like uh, this yeah. hotshot prospect that no one really knows about. No, like Justin Upton, he has long been a, a kind like, so the hype was out of control for him when he was a number one pick. Everyone thought he was going to be like the next big thing, but he kind of settled in as like a, I don't want to say middling, but he like a 30 home run guy, decent batting average, good, not great player. So his ADP of 320 might tell you that people think he's washed now. And looking at his 2019 and 2020, you might agree with them. But I think what we've got here in Justin Upton is very bankable power in like the 320 range. And that has value. Like he's the 89th outfielder off the board right now. And that's not even a starter in a 16 team five outfielder league. So like, there are so many guys going ahead of Justin Upton who aren't going to produce what he produces when he's healthy. That's it's crazy to me. I mean, I guess it's cool if you want to leave 30 home runs on the waiver wire, but yeah, no, that's crazy. So a broad overview of Upton in the past like decade from 2011 to 2018, he was pretty much a guaranteed 30 ish dingers, 160 runs plus RBIs. He only hit fewer than 26 home runs one time. And he hit 29 or more five times out of those eight years. Just incredibly consistent. Uh, but that's also a time frame that ended, you know, two years ago. So where in 2019 and 20, he only hit 21 home runs combined, but it was in about 400 plate appearances. So we're actually kind of right on pace for that 30 home runs in a full season. So why is he being slept on? Probably the 210 batting average and the, uh, the no more speed, which is not ideal because then you're only looking at a three-category producer. But I think there's reason to be optimistic here. I don't think he ever gets to his career batting average of 265 again, 
but I do think he can get to that 240, 250 range. Most of the projection systems have him in like the 230s, and it's really not a far shot to get back to that 250 range, especially if he keeps doing what he did in the last two small sample sizes that we have of him playing. So there's a lot to be optimistic about given the last couple of small sample sizes that we have. In 2020, Upton was basically really, really bad to start the year, lost his job to Joe Adele, and then Upton worked on his swing, came back, and was absolutely on fire at the end of the year. Basically, every rolling chart that you can pull up for 2020 was trending upwards to a good place, a great place, really. And it's just, if he, so he's notoriously a streaky hitter. So if he follows his career trend, that would be followed by a valley, which would be followed by a peak. So he's one of those players that you kind of want to look at more in roto than head to head. Or if you're in head to head, be more aggressive with like, you know, picking him up when you see him on the waiver wire and he's hot or dropping him if he starts striking out a bunch. You know, you, you kind of have to manage him. He's not kind of, he's not really a plug and play except unless it's in Roto. But yeah, I'm a lot more optimistic about the power and the counting stats than the batting average because I, the, the downside here, Upton isn't really a good fit for the modern game. Like pitchers are throwing more non fastballs than ever in more unexpected counts than ever. And that's just bad for Upton. He just doesn't really hit non fastballs anymore. The good news is that he tends to smash fastballs. He doesn't get cheated on swings. So when he does make contact on a breaker, it will go a long way. But it's just, he's he's kind of a, I, I've talked a lot about how Nate Lowe just can't hit fastballs, period. Justin Upton is the complete inverse of that, where it's like pretty much all he does anymore is hit fastballs. Justin Upton is the bizarro Nate Lowe. He is older and has the exact opposite uh, profile of pitches that he can hit. Yeah, but... So as I said, we had a couple small sample sizes, which were really great. We had the end of 2020, which was really good. And now we've got spring training. I know spring training stats, not, never good to look at. We, we, we say that a lot, but it is the most recent, uh, you know, the, the most recent thing we have to look at. In 35 plate appearances in spring training, Justin Upton has basically a 1300 OPS and seven extra base hits with four of those leaving the ballpark. Obviously, that's good. And it's exactly what we're looking for, which is power. Justin Upton, when he makes contact, the ball goes a long way. Great exit velo, great hard hit numbers. So the reason to draft Justin Upton is very specific. You want to know what you're getting with him. If you're already set in batting average and you can afford to sell out for some power, but maybe you missed on Gallo, maybe you missed on Sano and you need some home runs, Upton is a really nice backup plan for some easy free dingers. I'm not worried about the dead and ball messing with his production. I think as long as he's healthy, he's going to do his usual clockwork, 30 home runs, 160 runs plus RBI. He's a streaky player in general. So as I said, you're going to want to manage him, especially in head to head and bench him when he's, you know, on a low play him when he's on a high. But I, I really think there's value here. I, there's a chance that later in the year, he might see the bench for Joe Adele again or Brandon Marsh, if those guys are like tearing it up in the minors. But at least to start the year, I, I think you can get some really easy power numbers from uh, Justin Upton. 
Yeah, totally agree with all that. Uh, Justin Upton is someone who I get to see play a decent amount so far this spring because I've been randomly watching a lot of Angels games, uh, mostly for Jose Iglesias and the absolutely insane place he's making at shortstop. That man is an absolute demon there. It's fantastic. Uh, but the game against the Brewers, Justin Upton hit two long home runs, just absolute missiles, uh, one of them clearing the batter's eye in center field. So he's still got pop. Like you said, he's still going to probably show that power. Uh I really like this pick. I really don't think we're going to see either Adele or Marsh for quite some time, probably to the latter third of the year. So Upton isn't really going to be challenged for a ton of playing time out there. So he should accumulate those counting stats. I like this one a lot, Schwebs. Yeah, he's only 33. Now, I mentioned I got him in TGFBI. I got him around pick 314, which is kind of right around where he's going. But I, I would have reached a little further. I needed power, and I think I got it. Yeah, I could totally see that. Definitely. Uh, what's the furthest you would see yourself reaching in a league like that for Justin Upton? If you really needed the power that badly, where would you try to take him? Uh, I don't think I would go too much higher just because he kind of is what he is. Like, like I said, you you, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with him. So I, I don't think I would reach too high. Like I wouldn't be getting him in like the 250 range, but I would absolutely yeah. jump him up like 20, 30 spots and take him ahead of guys like uh, I don't know who's in that range, like Cole Calhoun. Cole Calhoun's going like 40 spots higher. I would absolutely take Upton over Calhoun. Are they like the same player? Yeah, basically. And Calhoun's hurt. Yeah, Calhoun's going to miss probably the first month or so of the season. He's already doing workouts again, which is good, but um, he should be out for a few weeks to begin the season at least. So yeah. And like, let's say like Jock Peterson's going 265. What's the difference between Jock Peterson and Justin Upton other than you know, maybe health if you're banking on Upton getting hurt again. Yeah, I mean, I would push back on that one a little bit. I think I would rather have Jock Peterson uh, being a left-handed bat in the NL Central. Feels like a good place to be at. 60 spots difference, though? Maybe not that far. Maybe the gap isn't that big, but with track record recently and then the... Just I, I think I just like Jock Peterson's bat a bit more. Like, I'm not saying it's an egregious, like, wide gap between the two, but I think I would prefer just like eight, between apples and oranges here. I would rather take uh Jock Peterson. I totally. So like, it seems like Peterson's just going to play like every day, even though he's kind of known as a, not really being able to hit lefties. But I mean, I, I feel like if they're both playing, if they both play a hundred, like 150 games, I feel like the production is going to be pretty close. Yeah, I could say, I could see that too. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Got anything else? No, no. How much? How much can we possibly talk about Justin Upton? He kind of he, he is what he is. I just feel like people have forgotten about him. Yeah, he kind of feels like someone who just kind of fell by the wayside this year a little bit, especially with the shortened season last year. Yeah, like we we talked about guys like Andrews last week who are like who debuted really young, so yep. they feel older than they are. But Upton's only thirty three. He's not a fossil by any means. No, but. Yeah, I think this is a good pick. Uh, kind of staying in the same vein as that, I'm going to go start talking about my pick here. Someone who also can hit for some power this year, I think, is Adam Duvall. So currently, according to Fantasy Pros, he's got an average ADP of 349 across all the major platforms. If Adam Duvall had re-signed with the Braves, this wouldn't be a pick that I'm making. With how the N- uh, DH in the NL fell, Duvall would have been the odd man out in the outfield in Atlanta likely with Marcelo Zuna starting in left field with Pache and Acuna taking center and right field respectively. So he wouldn't have gotten really almost any at-bats, I would assume. 
But Duvall's signing in Miami this offseason leaves him in a really good position with not that much resistance to keep him from starting full-time in right field. Currently, Badex has him projected to play 123 games. Over those 123 games, they have him down for 25 home runs with 59 runs, 74 RBIs, a couple stolen bags, which is not going to be any real contribution, and then a 227 average. In 2020, his BABIP was abysmal at 240. But the reason for that is that a decent number of his batted balls were home runs. He had 16 dingers in 57 games last year, which is a really, really crazy pace. That's equal to 40 plus home runs if he reaches his projected 529 plate appearances in 2021. Obviously, this far down the list, we're going to run into some guys that have a decent amount of warts. So with Duvall, He's really an empty power bat, and he has never cleared the 270 mark for average. His best was 267 in 2019, and he didn't even play a full season, so we don't know if there was any like variance in his performance there. He's going to drag you down in average leagues, and even more so in on-base percentage leagues, because he just doesn't really walk either. So he's probably a fade in most of the on-base percentage leagues, I will say that. A lot of the reason why he doesn't have a great OBP is that he also has a really high historic elevated K rate. He's been at the 25.8% marker higher each year he's played in the majors. And the last thing, too, as far as negatives, J.J. Blade. So he's projected to join the club at some point in 2021. Roster Resource has it in late 2021, but there have been rumblings as of late that he might be called up sooner. This would likely sap Duvall of a handful of plate appearances when he does come up. And this is a huge threat to his playing time once that actually does happen. We can just anticipate that he will lose a few plate appearances here and there. Back to the good stuff, though. That 25.8% K rate that he had last year in 2020 was the best of his career over his seven major league seasons, which is great. He also barrels the ball with regularity. He was the 14th best in barrels per plate appearance percentage ahead of names like Luke Voigt, Dom Smith, and Nelson Cruz. He also had a ball that he hit last year that was 114.2 miles per hour, which was good for the 21st highest max EV in the league. If you combine his barrels and his exit velocity capabilities with the towering launch angle of 22.9 degrees that he had last year and a really heavy pulled batted ball profile, it's a recipe for a guy who can hit for a ton of power. Aside from an oblique strain that shelved him at the end of last year, he's historically been a really healthy player as well, so I'm not concerned with him missing a ton of time from dings and dents. And according to Roster Resource, he's slated to hit in the heart of that lineup, usually at the four spot, maybe three or five, depending on the lineup that given day. So that should get him plenty of opportunities to accumulate those counting stats. To kind of wrap it all up, I think that he's a fade in on-base percentage leagues, like I said before, but... If you have a decent average floor on your team and you're looking for power, I think that an everyday outfielder with a ceiling of like 40 home runs potentially is a really great buy, especially if you're in a league with like five starting outfield spots where you can slot him in at, S- or at outfield four or five. And I also think that he'd be worth the pick late in points leagues as well. Uh, with ADP of 349 across all the major platforms, I think I would feel okay reaching for Duval around pick 280 to 300 if you're really in need of that power bump. and. I actually think that he's probably going to be able to clear 30 home runs this year if he does get his playing time. So we've got two power and counting stats outfielders who might be batting average liabilities and might get pushed for playing time by young guys in their minor league systems. Sounds pretty similar. It does. Should this be a board bet? You know what? 
I think that's a heck of an idea, Schwebs. Put it on the board. Justin Upton versus Adam Duvall. Do I have to mute heck? Should I should I bleep out heck? I, I think, think that'd you be should. great if I bleep out heck. We should do that. Okay, cool. All right, so that's another board bet that we got on the board there. So we're just going to do it straight home runs, we're thinking. Because how would we do this? Do we, I don't think we want to do... Home runs, runs, ribbies? Home runs, runs, and ribbies. Oh, God. I don't know. I think that because he... Okay, so because... I think that the lineup that surrounds Upton is a much stronger lineup than there is in Miami, especially when you have, you have like David Fletcher and Mike Trout, like both being able to get on base at elite rates. You have even like Jose Iglesias has a better bat than I think people give him credit for. There's a lot of people that are going to be getting on base there. I think that because of that, I would only feel comfortable making this board bet if we're doing exclusively home runs. All right. That's so I think this winds up coming down to basically a playing time board bet. It's who, who do we think is going to wind up playing more because I feel like, like I said before, I think with with even, you know, uh, playing time numbers, I think we wind up with roughly even amount of dingers. But uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 good with this. I'm good with that. So board bet home runs Upton versus Love Duvall. It. Okay, we got another one on the board. That's fantastic. Schwebs, let's move on to your second pick for an outfielder. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to really really try not to make the the nailer joke here that I want Don't to so care. badly. Uh, so Josh Naylor, not going to do it. All right. Am I going to try to sell you on a player with like seven major league games worth of success? Heck yes, I am. So here's some reasons to like Josh Naylor. He made Garrett Cole look like a fool in the playoffs. And honestly, that's enough for me. I don't really, uh, I'm, I'm sold. I don't really need that's fan through and through. (laughs) God. So no, I'm, I'm kidding, but only a little bit. Uh, Josh Naylor was amazing in the playoffs. The the Indians, the four the, the the artists formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, I guess formerly because people are kind of still calling them the Indians. I don't understand. They what's backpedaled going on with that. and they're still going by that name this year. I am going to, at every opportunity, just call them Cleveland baseball team if I can. Um, Truly shocking that they would do such yeah, a thing. Great ownership, but I digress. <laughs> Josh Naylor. <laughs> I I have I have found in my uh like my analysis this year that I am giving bonus points to guys who really shown in the playoffs. Like I I like Arazarena more than I expected to. I'm like I'm willing to pay more for Arazarena than I thought I would, and it's winding up being the same for Josh Naylor. I'm giving him a lot of credit for just being an absolute monster on the biggest stage imaginable. Like he wasn't making the World Series. The Indians weren't making the World Series. So, you know, it, this the biggest stage he was going to be on. So against Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka, playoff Masahiro Tanaka, who is a different pitcher than regular season Tanaka. Completely different, yes. Uh, he went five for seven in two games with three doubles and a dinger. And it just felt like the Yankees couldn't get him out. Like it was he was so scary at the plate because he's this hulking presence. He's a big dude. And it just felt like the Yankees just couldn't get a pitch by him. Uh, he hit both a fastball and a slider from Garrett Cole, one for a home run, one for a double. He hit like several balls at 108 miles an hour or higher. And Max Exavilo is important for him because he's got massive raw power, 
but he hasn't really been able to get to it in games. So the fact that he was able to, I want to, I'm about to use the word consistently, but it was only for a couple of games. But the fact that he was able to do this multiple times is really a big deal for him. Uh, and it's been shown that max exit velo is a really important data point, especially when you start hitting like 108. So I, I, I'm taking a lot from a, you know, a two game sample size. So that's the caveat that his actual big league production is really, really limited. So the playoffs were awesome and eye catching, but what I really like about Naylor is in his minor league numbers. If you just look at his major league regular season numbers, you just see a guy that hits the ball on the ground a lot and doesn't even hit it that hard. Like he had like an 86 or 87 average exit velo in 2020, which is really nothing to write home about. So what's the big deal? Who cares? Let's just move on. No, it's true that if he keeps doing what he's done in a very limited sample size, that he'll likely be pretty worthless. So what about his minor league numbers are so eye-catching? First of all, he's been tagged with 70 raw power, which is Aaron Judge kind of raw power. He's a large man. Big boy can hit ball far if given the opportunity. (laughs) And that massive raw power is coupled with contact skills, with Naylor being above average to well above average in Z contact so far in his brief career, which is his contact rate within the zone. And he has better than average, better than league average with and chase rates in 2020. That's a good combination of stuff. We talked about this with like Brandon Belt, for example. If you're making contact with the ball and you're capable of hitting the ball hard, that's a really good combination of things. All throughout his minor league career, he put up really strong K rates. He paired that with decent walk rates in the high minors. And he did all this with that latent raw power. He never hit too many home runs in the minors, but it was always kind of there waiting to be tapped into. And another point in his favor is that he's only 23. Like, he's really young. Like, I feel like I've been hearing about him forever because, like, he made his date, he he debuted at, like, in 2015, which would have made him, like, what, 17? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's been around for a while. He's always been young for his level, and he went right on producing anyway. Like, he had a 128 wrc plus in double a when he was a year and a half younger than the average double a player so he's basically always been younger than his competition and he still has put up pretty good lines so this is basically the complete opposite of my justin Upton pick as you cannot bank on josh naylor like don't pick him expecting production this is a dart throw the floor is really low because the floor is like he doesn't hit and gets sent back to the minors but if he does like the ingredients are there. So if he ever starts hitting the ball in the air more consistently and getting that launch angle like to 20-ish as opposed to like the the eight where it is now or seven, if he ever starts doing what he did in that postseason run like more consistently, we're talking a huge, huge return on investment. This is one of my favorite late round dart throws and it's only gotten more attractive to me with the news that Oscar Mercado would be starting the season in the minors. Supposedly, Naylor's going to be a starting outfielder for Cleveland, and they need all the offense they can get, so it's in their best interest to let him see if he can figure it out. I'm completely throwing out the projections here because I I think what's, what's in him is not being shown in the projections because he hasn't actually displayed it in games yet, really, other than that playoff run. So I'm not going to quote the projections because they're not good. 
So I personally took Naylor in round 24 in TGFBI at pick 347, which is about 50 spots earlier than his ADP as per fantasy pros. And there are a lot of guys in that 350 to 400 range who I'm fading completely. I love Naylor as an AO only play or in a 16 tamer. And I love him as a speculative play in dynasty leagues, given how young he still is. Like if the league drafts like 400 players or more, I want Josh Naylor on my team, like hundred percent. I don't know if you can hear right now. My upstairs neighbors are currently hooting and hollering and stomping on the floors with some drum and bass music playing. I think they really like your Josh Naylor pick is what that means. It's definitely not the fact that they're college kids who are on spring break right now. You should really like blast our theme music. See if they're feeling it. Just on repeat. Yeah. I mean, the theme music is a certified banger. It really does slap. So I think that they would like it. It's just a shame that it's only 15 seconds long. Loop. Just loop it. I could loop it. That'd be easy enough. Yeah. The new club hit post pandemic. Once everyone comes back to the clubs, they're going to be like, hey, play that in the deep theme song. Loop it, play it backwards, let a Hedo do some vocals. Oh God, that would be wonderful. Actually, can we commission Hedo to do vocals? I want him to come up with original lyrics for our theme. I feel like that would be fantastic. I would pay very good money for that. Like at least $5. I'm just going to like, <laughs> I'll just offer to make him a meal once I can actually safely go like actually meet him in real life. Ahedo is a sweetheart and sent me like a dozen baseball books. So I still owe him. This is your weekly reminder, everyone, that Michael Ahedo, very good boy. The, the best boy. All my homies love Mikey Ahedo. Unless he's analyzing hitters. <laughs> ben Gamel. I, I, one of my favorite running gags in the Pitcherless Discord is that anytime Ben Gamel gets brought up for any reason whatsoever, it starts this long trashing of Mikey Ahedo because of that one article he wrote one time <laughs> that wasn't even saying that Ben Gamel was good. But I have purposely misconstrued it, and it's just fantastic. It's a nice running joke at this point. Basically, basically, Christian Yelich, just saying. Basically, pretty much Christian Yelich. Looks exactly the same. Also relevant here because he also plays for Cleveland now, I believe, right? Does he? I think so. I think he's in spring training with Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. If Ben Gamble steals plate appearances from Josh Naylor, I will lose my mind. (laughs) That'll be the perfect karmic comeback. For you is just like trash talking Mikey on the pod. And then all of a sudden Ben Gamble getting at bats above Josh Naylor because he just can't make contact. I I would be inconsolable if that happened. (laughs) All right. Uh, Moving on to my last pick for my favorite post 300 outfielder for 2021. I'm going to talk about someone who is not going to start 2021 with their major league club. I need people to understand this. This is a disclaimer at the top. This is for Dynasty in really deep leagues only, uh, Jaron Duran. Currently, his ADP across all major platforms is 567. Way, 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 way down there. Do not go drafting Jaron Duran in like round 23 of your 10 to 12 team Yahoo redraft league. You don't want to make that mistake. He's not going to play until the very end of the year. He's not going to provide you any real value. This is strictly advice for you dynasty players and those who are in redraft leagues where there are like 12 to 15 teams and an absolute plethora of bench spots. We're talking like at least 30 rounds. So please keep that in mind while I'm making this recommendation. Bad X projections have Duran playing 53 games this year in the majors with three home runs, 28 runs, 20 RBIs, and eight stolen bases with a 257 average and a 310 OBP. With everything that I just said out of the way, Please, 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 please draft 
or trade for Jaron Duran if you find yourself in a league that fits my previously stated criteria. The outfield situation in Boston is very, very dicey. I mean, they have a lot of people with pretty high ceilings, but there's a really high level of variance in what their performances could be. And so far in the past few years, like year and a half, Jaron Duran has shown many, many flashes of brilliance. So looking back to spring training in 2020, he showed some flashes of brilliance there before the minor league season was completely derailed due to the pandemic, but then moved to the alternate training site last year and drew a comparison to a, well, healthy Grady Sizemore during his time in the Dominican Winter League. Uh, For those that remember, he hit a massive 400 on his way to MVP honors in the Caribbean series last year. So that was fantastic to see as well. Also, he's continued that momentum into spring training this year where he's managed a 314 average across 35 at-bats. That includes six extra base hits and two home runs. To go along with that, he was also batting second in most of his appearances, which indicates that they have a reasonable level of confidence in his abilities. Once again, got to go over some warts with Jaron Duran. He's not a natural outfielder. He was pretty exclusively a second baseman until he turned 21 and until he became a part of the Red Sox organization, at which point he was converted to an outfielder. So he's still learning to play the position. I will say that the fact that he has a speed grade of 70, according to both prospects, lives and fan graphs, that will allow him a little bit of wheel room or cushion while he gets his bearings playing that outfield position. And most of the time he's been playing in center field. So I feel like it's pretty safe to project him ending up as starting there once he does get the call to the majors. Uh, There's also just like the lack of tangible info. Yes, he's had really good reviews from both the alternate training site and the Dominican Winter League and the past couple spring trainings, but a lot of them are just kind of small sample sizes. According to all of this that we've seen from the alternate training site and from the Dominican Winter League, he had this swing change that I unfortunately was not able to find a ton of info on the specifics of it, but he has unlocked some more power, which is good. I really want to see him continue his success into his first stint here in AAA at the beginning of 2021 to really completely buy in. Finally, obviously, he's not going to start in the majors this year. That's a given. He's projected to be called up for what basically amounts to like the last third of the season, which isn't an issue for any people here who are listening that are dynasty folks. But this isn't a guy that's going to accumulate a ton of stats. Not a chance. Not this year, at least. All that said... I do think that I'm one of the people that is higher on Duran, especially amongst the pitcher list crowd. And there's a lot of people that are high on him. I will say I took him as one of my very last picks in TGFBI as a flyer. Schwebzy and I drafted him in our shared dynasty league. And I've also drafted him in a couple of auto new leagues as like a last minute auction, $1 player in hopes that he will get called up this year and can contribute really late. I think that the Red Sox see him as the center fielder of the future, replacing Jackie Bradley Jr. with that amazing speed. So once he gets his bearings, I think it's going to be full speed ahead. So I really recommend nabbing him now. I just really want a former Mets prospect and current Cleveland baseball player, uh, Josh Wolf, to be successful so I can own both Josh Wolf and Duran so that my team can be hungry like a okay, wolf. Okay, you started... Oh, God. Uh You started that sentence with former Mets prospect and now Cleveland prospect, which, I mean, prospect probably should have given it away, but also that could have been any number of players. You could have said, oh yeah, I'm talking about Andres Jimenez. I'm talking about uh, Ahmed Rosario, new center fielder, Uh, but you went with Josh Wolf, which I mean, because of the joke obviously makes a ton of sense, but 
I was, I was, I was uh, holding on to the edge of my seat. Uh, (laughs) waiting for you to reveal who you're actually talking about. Because there's a plethora of former Mets that are now Cleveland baseball team members. I like to meander in my jokes to to just leave leave you on the edge of your seat, waiting for that punchline, or just where where's he gonna go? You really caught me. I was leaning in on it. I was getting closer. I was enraptured, one might say. So, uh, do you want to get to our honorable mentions? No, actually, well, one last thought on uh, Durant. It's like we we you know Jordan was very clear that you know this isn't. Jared Kellenick, right? This is this isn't someone that you're going to like actively target in your 12 teamers and stash on your bench because we're not expecting him in May. The Boston Red Sox team is very interesting this year in that they have a lot of fringe players and their roster could go any number of directions this year. And actually we're we're going to talk about that a little bit with our honorable mentions. But this is a team that if you're in a deep league, if you're in an AL only league, or if you're in like a 16-teamer or a 30-teamer or something crazy like that, Boston is one of those teams that you're really going to want to pay attention to, just in general. For sure, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, moving to our honorable mentions, do you want to just start with one of the Red Sox there? Or with both of the Red Sox sure. we have in our honorable, honorable mentions here? Yeah, speaking of high variance, I, I think I think like... I, I mean, obviously, as soon as we became official uh, fantasy experts, which is definitely a thing, uh, it was in the contract that we definitely signed as fantasy experts that we have to talk about Franchi Cordero when talking about outfield sleepers, because everyone mentions Franchi Cordero as an outfield sleeper. Uh, we all know we all know why. Lots of power, lots of speed, and now he's got an opportunity. And if he can ever stay healthy and. Like all he needs to do is make a little bit of contact and he has the potential for, I don't know about fantasy stardom, but fantasy like major relevance because any, anybody that has potential for 2020 or yeah, I think, I think Franchi probably has even more potential power there. Uh, you know, it's a player that you have to pay attention to. And as of right now, Franchi Cordero looks like he's going to be the left fielder for Boston. So you, you need to pay attention. It's a good ballpark too. Yes. If if you're like Franchi has power to all fields, like I, his max exit velo was something crazy, like one sixteen, right? It was something. It was silly. pretty massive. Yes, I can't remember exactly. Let me look real quick. I'll find it for us. Uh, Cordero. He's put up some massive exit velos in his life, so he doesn't need to pull the ball. But pulling the ball in Boston is is a good thing with Pesky's pull over there. So looking at his max EV all time is 116.9 and that was back in 2018 with San Diego which I mean I'm sure if he wanted to he could replicate that at some point but it's few and far between that you're going to hit one that hard but he does have the capability um so right and it's it's like I said before with Josh Naylor max exit velo as a data point does matter you know it it kind of absolutely raises the ceiling that you should put on a player in your in your analysis Absolutely. Uh, and then moving to our other honorable mention on the Red Sox, we could have also chosen, I think about it here, we could have also chosen Hunter Renfro, guy with a huge pulled batted ball profile and a ton of pop. Uh, being able to pull it over the green monster in left field there would have been really, really nice. But we went with Michael Chavis. Uh, he's shown a ton of pop in spring training so far. He's got six dingers so far, which ties our beloved, the one and only, Robert K. Dingers, first of his name, also known as Bobby Dalbeck, uh, for the lead among Red Sox sluggers. He's currently fighting for a spot on the bench, but 
I mean, I feel like he's kind of in the lead right now for more at bats over. I'm trying to think who's he, who he's in a fight with. I already forgot. Uh, oh God, it's Christian Christian Arroyo. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Chavis and Arroyo fighting for that that platoon spot essentially. Uh, roster resource currently has Arroyo winning it, but I mean Chavis has put up a really good argument so far in spring training. So see how it ends up. Well, I mean, this is what we were talking about with Boston, right? There's just so many interesting fringe players. Like Arroyo's been insane in spring. Yeah. And Arroyo is a former top prospect from Tampa Bay. Like, who knows? Exactly, yeah. Maybe maybe Arroyo could wind up being fantasy relevant in deep leagues. Totally possible. And that's the thing, too. Also, thinking about this, Chavis can play both infield and outfield if he needs to. Arroyo's pretty much exclusively an infielder. So that's another edge that uh, Chavis has on Arroyo as well because then basically whoever is going to win this platoon job is probably going to be replacing marwin gonzalez if you put christian arroyo in you then have to move kike hernandez to the outfield if you bring chavis in you can just like switch him out one for one and then leave kike at second base which seems like personally an ideal situation i think for everyone involved so you can get that regular playing time at the same position you don't get shifted around a bunch but yeah yeah I mean, the the flip side of having so many interesting fantasy players, they don't have 500 at-bats for all of them. So it's it's platoons in baseball are turning into like, you know, the, the platoon running backs in fantasy football where it's just like it's going to wind up being a nightmare for fantasy owners. There's a lot of teams adopting this nowadays. Like, yeah. the, like basically, basically every good team has too many good players at this point because the, the have-nots don't have nearly enough good players. It's a interesting balance in baseball nowadays for sure. But yeah, pay attention to Boston, pay attention to who's winning those positional battles. And uh, as we mentioned uh, with our, uh, we we talked about a couple of giants when we were talking about corner infielders, pay special attention to the lefties who are winning these battles because they're the ones that are going to get the bulk of the plate appearances. For sure. A quick question though, Schwebs. I just have to ask you something real quick. What's football? (laughs) It's a very bad fantasy sport that we don't like here at Pitcher List. Honestly, I've never heard of it. It sounds awful, though. I'll be honest. In fact, check check out our Pitcher List store where we have a t-shirt that says, Fantasy Football is Stupid. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot that shirt exists. I need to buy that. That, that. Is, a, that is a true thing that definitely exists. Actually, actually, whenever I say this is a thing that definitely exists, it doesn't actually exist. But this one does, in fact, exist. <laughs> so trust me on this one. It does exist, I swear. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next outfielder here for honorable mentions. Uh, let's go with uh, Josh Rojas. You want to talk about Josh Rojas real quick, Schwebs? I, I, this is another one where it's like it's it's in the fantasy analyst, uh, you know, uh, contract where we have to mention him. So I'm cheating a little bit because Josh Rojas is only eligible in the outfield in a couple of uh, platforms. Uh, he's outfield eligible in Yahoo and Atnu but uh, not in any other formats as far as I know. But he's really turning some heads in spring training. He was kind of a popular sleeper pick last year, but didn't do anything with that hype. But this year, he is obliterating his career bests in exit velo and just generally killing the ball in spring training with an OPS around 1,100. And being eligible at second base makes him even more valuable in those leagues where he's got multi-position eligibility. He's gotten some at-bats at shortstop in spring training also. So you could wind up with a really versatile player here with a pretty good bat. There was talk of him competing with 
Dalton Varsho for an outfield spot. And we mentioned what happened to Dalton Varsho. He is in the minors. So that just strengthens the chance of Rojas getting plate appearances, uh, you know, in April. I don't think too much is going to change. We've only got, you know, five more days of games, six more days of games. I feel like Rojas has played himself onto the team. Roster Resource has him starting. And there's a lot of people in the fantasy community that really want to see that bear out. So far this spring, sitting 345, he's 20 for 58 so far with three home runs, three doubles. And then that 58 is relevant. He's gotten so many chances. Lots like of they, they really want to see him play. Apparently it's really encouraging. Actually, let's see out of everyone. Yeah. He's gotten the most at bats of anyone in that organization so far in spring training. So they're giving him plenty of looks and also he's got the most in all of baseball. Oh, wow. Spring wow. training. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Josh Rojas, definitely worth your time, I think, I would assume. I, I will say that I think this is one that you and I both thought about talking about featuring, but I feel like a lot of people are kind of bird-dogging and on him already. So so Alex Chamberlain, who is much smarter than either of us, is a very big Josh Rojas fan, and that alone should you know make your eyes light up a little bit when you're looking at him way late in a draft. His ADP is like 500-plus. So you're talking way down there. Yeah, that's a sick value. Uh, and then I think we got one more, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Our obligatory mention, because it seems like every Pitcherless podcast has to mention Trevor Huth at some point. Let me make sure to put this in the uh, in the timestamps for Trevor. Timestamps, yep. Uh, yep. Akil Badu. So this is honestly mostly just a shout out for our boss, boss, quote unquote, and Tigers fan Trevor Huth. Uh Badu is a Rule 5 pick that they got from the Twins this past offseason. And so far, he's got four homers and three stolen bases to go along with like an eight walk to 11K ratio this spring, which is pretty solid. Uh, He's also going to stick with the big league club due to his Rule 5 status. I mean, if he just like continues showing out, he's probably going to be a pretty sick value in 2020 or 2021 if he gets some playing time. I think, can, can we do like Jungle Book references with him, like Baloo? Can we, can we, is the bare necessities can we do that i don't know it's it's close i feel it might be too too much of a stretch probably too much of a stretch uh, whatever. maybe but you don't sometimes you strike out you don't hit home runs every time schwebzy hitting you're still hitting like 800 honestly you, you, they can't all be you're, winners, you're the you're the kevin newman of jokes that's what you are you're hitting 727 on jokes this year so far i would say just still a legendary that, that conversion. has to drop at some point. <laughs> it's just going to get worse as the season goes on. <laughs> it's, only, it's, only, it's all downhill from here. Uh, all right. Uh, and I think, honestly, that's all we have for today. Remember, we're not going to be back next week, Saturday. We're going to be back next week, Monday. Again, for everyone that's wondering, that is March 29th. Just like at the top of the episode, I'm going to say it again. We're moving to Monday releases at 6 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll be with you at the start of each week to help you identify some of the favorite deep streaming options for the upcoming slate of games. Again, that's also going to be on the main Pitcher List podcast feed. So you can subscribe to find us there and at In The Deep. Uh, if you want to follow us on socials, you can follow us on our shared account at In The Deep PL or individually at Bunt Singles for me and Schwebzi. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I for Schwebzi. Uh, And then also don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Schwebzy, send them out.
Bye, friends.